Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And the mentality of people deeply involved in the sports world has really kind of been in the news these days. There's a bunch of different stories, whether it's hockey, football, you name it. But I think what it comes down to is the athlete persona, as it's called. This is not a new phenomenon either. The idea that athletes have a certain swagger or they need to emphasize their abilities. I mean, this goes all the way back to ancient Greece, actually. Dr. Peter J. Miller is an associate professor and chair of the Department of Classics at the University of Winnipeg and joins us now. Thank you so much for being here. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have we always treated athletes kind of differently throughout history? Well, definitely when we look at, you know, the ancient Greeks and say the sports world from the 19th century onwards in Europe and the rest of the world. um, I think, yeah, I mean, athletes have always been thought of as a kind of different type. Uh, in ancient Greek playwright Euripides said there was a kind of race or type of athletes um, that you could kind of identify them on the street by how they looked, how they acted, what they ate. So I think, yeah, in, in these two particular cultures, in a way, our own and the ancient Greeks, there's definitely a type of athlete that we, we treat differently. Okay, what type of athlete is that? Well, for the ancient Greeks, there's, there's a lot of different attitudes about athletes. Um, sometimes some people think athletes are gluttonous, they eat too much. Maybe the phenomenon we know today is carbo-loading in antiquity or something like that. Um, so they're eating too much, they are really big on themselves, they're uh, interested in kind of propagating their fame and knowledge of their activities. And I think today, I'm not going to call athletes gluttonous, <laughs> but certainly we know athletes are interested in kind of bigging themselves up. And I think something like social media has brought this even more into the fore, right? Where we have athletes who connect directly with their fans and can explain their accomplishments. And, um, and then there's also the bravado between athletes, right? Where athletes sort of have these rivalries that play out in public. I was thinking when you were saying that, Dr. Miller, about um, the actor, athlete, uh, former wrestling star, Dwayne Johnson. And he's yeah, always right. on social media talking about his cheat days, right? About Because he's so strict with what he eats. And then he has these cheat days, which are just over the top. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, The Rock is a great example, right, of, uh, of someone who, uh, yeah, who transitioned from the entertainment and sports world into, uh, yeah, into entertainment world and has this, yeah, larger-than-life persona. Um, yeah, I, I knew about his cheat days. I haven't, I haven't looked oh. at what they consist of. It's <laughs> really quite something. <laughs> it's really quite something. So let's talk about the swagger that kind of goes with this. So you talked about the eating part of it, but what about the idea that they need, athletes throughout history have needed to let people know how good they are? Yeah, so, um, so I have to just put my daughter on a new show for her to watch while I'm talking. Um, no. so, oh, yeah, multitasking. Athletes, I'm so impressed. Multitasking, yes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so definitely um, in antiquity, athletes like those of today are interested in making sure that people know what they've done. Um, it's a bit harder for them in the ancient world because there's no internet, there's no social media, no radio, no television. And so they do things like hire uh, poets to write songs about them. They put inscriptions on statues in famous places like Olympia, where the Olympic Games take place. Um, so, yeah, they're interested in getting these messages out. And, and I think today the same is true, especially of professional athletes who are, you know, getting, uh, getting uh, advertising endorsements, 
uh, as I say, getting on social media or then transitioning from the world of, of sports to the world of entertainment or politics. So athletes definitely seem to be interested in getting people to know what they've done. And then some athletes interested in both antiquity and today and how they can leverage that to, you know, make a splash in other fields of society. Okay. And so that's always been the case? Well, I mean, I, I, I know about ancient Greece and, and today, and there's a, you know, there's a big gap in the sporting kind of history of sports and certainly the Middle Ages and medieval period, Renaissance in Europe. There's not as much organized sports, although certainly, you know, jousts with uh, elites and nobles, knights kind of are interested also in propagating this and using it for, for political leverage. But definitely really far back in antiquity, even say, you know, 2,650 years ago, we hear about a guy named Chilon in Athens who, after he won an Olympic victory, tried to use it to establish himself as the sole ruler or tyrant of Athens. And these stories kind of just recur throughout classical antiquity. I don't think we have too many athletes who try and make themselves tyrants today, uh, but we do have athletes who, of course, transition into politics. Um, you know, I'm thinking of uh, uh, former minister Ken Dryden, right, uh, liberal. So he, he you know, used this kind of... Um, sporting fame, or at least leverage that sporting fame, perhaps, to become a politician. I was thinking about Arnold Schwarzenegger, too. Yeah, yeah, even better example, right? More like The Rock, too. <laughs> yeah, well, if he goes into politics, for sure. But, you know, there was somebody who definitely leveraged the fame of being athletic. And also, that's kind of been his persona the whole time, hasn't it? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great example. And, and especially because Arnold's like, large, he's larger than life, right? I mean, he, he was, he was Hercules. Yeah. <laughs> point. Um, so yeah, that, that ability, to, especially with kind of, um, you know, what the ancient Greeks would call heavy athletes, who they call wrestlers and boxers. And for us, like bodybuilders and weightlifters who are kind of larger than life physically, um, and, and then are able to then, you know, yeah, manipulate that larger than life physical body to become larger than life in, in our political and social presence. So in ancient Greece then as well, is that why there was this obsession with kind of not just setting the goal, but beating the record, setting a record and then beating that record? Yeah. So certainly the ancient Greeks are interested in winning above all, right? There's essentially no evidence, especially in the major competitions for second place, third place participation ribbons. Like this is nothing they would know about. It was kind of win or or nothing. Um, So in order to make winning even better, uh, the way to do that is to set records. And so, yeah, we hear about athletes who say, well, it's not enough that I just won the Olympics. I need to have won it in a better way than anyone else has. Or I've won more Olympic competitions than anyone else. Or I won two on one day. Or I've won the best four competitions. So setting records is a way to make um, winning even better uh, in a society that's obsessed with winning. Okay. This makes so much sense. It sounds so similar to kind of the way we are today, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that... that there's one thing I was telling my students, my teachings in sports, that we live in a world that's so saturated with sports, obsessed with sports, and so do the ancient Greeks. But these are actually relatively unusual in global history. Um, and so for us, it's kind of makes the ancient Greeks seem very familiar. But in a sense, in the context of world history, we and the ancient Greeks with our obsession with sports are kind of strange uh, in the whole context of the world. So do you see that similarity in the modern day versus what you, know, you studied in ancient Greece? Yeah, I think so. I mean, athletes are interested in doing better and setting more records. Um, you know, I remember, you know, back in my day of listening, of being really interested in the Olympics, but that I remember the 200-meter sprinter Michael Johnson uh, had that famous 150-meter uh, sprint against Canadian Donovan Bailey. And this was an attempt to work out, like, who's the fastest, who's the absolute best between right. two athletes who were the best in their things. Uh, it wasn't enough to win the gold medal at the Olympics. They had to then make it even better and become the best of the best. And I think the ancient Greeks are doing that too. That is so true. Thank you for explaining it to us this morning.
Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Dr. Peter J. Miller, Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Classics at the University of Winnipeg, talking about the athletic comparisons of ancient Greece to kind of the modern day way we do treat athletes, the mentality that athletes have, how they are treated. It's just so many connections to that. But he's right. There was a a long gap in the middle there where there wasn't as much emphasis on sporting events, or at least not that that, that, history has shown, not as much as there was in ancient Greece, but it is so interesting.